0: Welcome, this is Robin Sills. Welcome to Medically Speaking from St. Mary's Hospital. We are medically speaking tonight about sleep. We are calling tonight the Great Eight because we never get it. But the gray eight is what we're supposed to get, which is eight hours of sleep. And if you're like me, I'm lucky if I get five hours. And that seems to be what I survive on, even on the weekends. But we have with us tonight an expert in sleep medicine. and It is our director of sleep disorders in the Sleep Disorder Center at St. Mary's Hospital. He is a pulmonologist, Dr. Greg Gerstin, Dr. Greg Kalodner, Dr. Gerstin, I just gave you a push. How's that? Who's an interventional radiologist? St. Mary's. So Dr. Greg Kalodner. Hi, Doc.
1: Hi, good evening. How are you? Wonderful to see you again.
0: You too. Talk to you. You are the best. I know you weren't always a fan of coming on the radio, but I've converted you. Always. I've converted you. So we're going to talk tonight about sleep. And I'll tell you, sleep is good. And I'm extremely tired At this point in the day. But what I want to talk about is we'll talk a little bit about sleep apnea, which I think is something that is confusing to people, and you we'll talk a little bit about what that means, but also talk a little bit about sleep in general towards the end of the program. But let's talk about you first.
1: Well, b- before you get off that, I want to correct something that you said. Yeah, right good. At the get, opening, me. get me. Because I want you to feel guilty about the lack of sleep that you're getting. Okay you mentioned that you survive on 5 hours a sleep i do so the way that we research sleep problems mm-hmm. and how sleep deprivation affects people we can't do a blood test to say you need this sleep you mm-hmm. need that what we do is repetitive tests you know things where you have to be attentive and focused some mm-hmm. of those are are intellectual things. Some of those are just pushing a button when you see something, and some of those are driving simulators.
0: So don't drive next to me after five hours.
1: (laughs) And the studies really show that two weeks of five hours of sleep per night are equivalent to being up for 24 hours straight as far as the ability to respond to tasks. Now, I don't know when the last time you were up for 24 hours straight, but the last time I was, I could barely see. Yeah, that's so awful. You don't want to you be fall driving asleep. after
0: yes, that. Yes, you fall asleep and you don't realize, as a matter of fact, I do remember a time when I did an 11 to 7 many, many years ago when my, my kids were little. And I did an 11 to 7, which I don't nor, didn't normally do. And I couldn't sleep because I came home and my husband had to go to work and I had no one to help. And I had to bring my daughter to nursery school. And I literally on the way back with my son in a car seat, closed my eyes for a split second on the highway and jumped, caught myself and was so freaked out when that happened to me. So yes, I it, it catches you by spot. You don't even realize you're falling asleep.
1: And that's why in a lot of areas we've been trying to limit that, you know, whether it's motor vehicle driving, whether it's some of the high profile accidents in the last several years, whether it's debates about how many hours in a row residents should work. Hmm. Lots of different areas with that. But you wanted to, I, want I just to know wanted about, to correct you. No, about thank five you, hours, because so. well,
0: we'll get back to that because it's so important. And I think our listeners, and by the way, if you do have questions, please feel free to call in 203-757-1320. We are live here with Dr. Greg Kolodner. So by trade. You are a physician and a pulmonologist, right? You had a do pul- right. and you did a specialty in sleep medicine. So maybe take us on that journey. Sleep
1: medicine was not a consolidated specialty for a long period of time. Sleep medicine came into being when in the 70s it was proven that sleep apnea which is not breathing correctly during sleep, was proven to be able to be treated effectively. And it came as a result of three specialties sort of coming together at hmm. the same time. So there were the pulmonologists, the, the lung doctors, right. who were concerned with breathing and appropriate breathing. They were the neurologists Mm -hmm. who would look at the structure and function of the brain, the different parts of sleep, how your brain waves tell us what's going on with sleep, working with brain disorders such as insomnia and narcolepsy and, and things that are related to sleep from a neurologic standpoint. And then there were the psychiatrists who would talk about... And study behavior, which results in sleep habits and other psychiatric disease and dreams. And so the three fields came together in the 70s and 80s. And now, for a long time, we've had a, a specialized ward. And you can go into it from any of those angles Okay. now. So the field has a combination of specialists. Because sleep apnea is the number one condition that we treat, probably more than half of the sleep specialists are pulmonary based but we're all trained to do all kinds of different parts of sleep medicine.
0: Cuz you also cover our ICU with the field of pulmonology. So, you know, you're you're doing double duty. We
1: do we do a lot of different things. You know, St. Mary's does a lot of things well and so so that's one So
0: they have you wear many hats. <laughs> so, let's talk about sleep apnea. So, okay. cuz you mentioned that and that's truly majority of the patients you see are probably sent to you from a primary care physician with concerns or the patient has expressed concerns Mm -hmm. or the wife or the husband have expressed concerns that they're up at night because their spouse is snoring. So maybe let's talk about sleep apnea a bit.
1: So sleep apnea comes in a lot of different flavors from how the person gets to an evaluation. Sometimes a bed partner is complaining about noise. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the person is sleepier than they should be during the daytime. Sometimes they are noticed during a procedure that they, so they're given sedatives for a colonoscopy or a dental procedure or something where they're relaxing and they stop breathing. Sometimes Uh somebody is concerned or getting surgical treatment for obesity and they want to make sure that they're Breathing, sleep right. is, is correct you know to, to make sure that the surgery goes as smoothly as possible so there are a lot of different ways that people come to. can get, come to get evaluated sometimes people go to their ear nose and throat doctor for right. snoring or
0: we have, a like so we have a call already hi welcome to the show you have a question
2: I do, but it's not about sleep apnea. Would that be appropriate? I don't mean to get you too distracted. No,
0: that's okay, Harold. Go ahead. Nice to hear your voice. I hear you during the day calling in to Steve, so thanks for listening.
2: Yes. Uh, well, I think a lot of people are considering or have been using melatonin. And not too many doctors talk about this. Not too many shows talk about uh, the effectiveness, the dangers, et cetera, of melatonin. If you could just take a few moments to tell us what you think is, is most important for people to understand about taking, using, or consuming melatonin. If you want, I can hang up. No,
0: thank I you. I think that's a
1: great question.
0: Yeah, you can stay on if you'd like, and just in case you have more questions. So, thank
1: you. So there are a couple of different problems for why melatonin may not be effective for people and there's a, this is a kind of a long discussion, but melatonin is a substance produced by a small area of the brain called the pineal gland that makes it as preparation for sleep. Mm-hmm. So if you look at someone who has no sleep problems, so if you measure their melatonin, and one of the difficult things is that melatonin, like many other hormones in the body, varies very, uh, widely during the day. So that's why we can't really use it as a accurate blood test. Because just because you measure it at a certain time doesn't mean it's the time that you should have it. So melatonin generally peaks in a person without a problem getting to sleep and waking up about three to four hours before their normal bedtime. So if someone wants to consolidate their sleep that would be the time to use it about that period of time. So it depends on what you're using it for, whether it's to get to sleep earlier, to consolidate sleep. People have had positive and negative reactions to melatonin. The other problem is that melatonin is a supplement and like many supplements, it's not FDA regulated so that your melatonin that you're buying in the health food store or the supermarket may have a varying amount of active mm. substance, and so it's hard to really. Doctors are afraid to recommend things that haven't been really validated in a in a in a good way. Something that can be used as an adjunct or even substitute for melatonin is high intensity visible light, and high intensity visible light means either going out in the sun or getting a. LED light box and using it first thing in the morning. And if you can do that for three to four weeks for about 15 minutes, it's the light itself can help your sleep cycle and regulate your sleep cycle better. So even using it in the morning can make you more fatigued and more sleepy at nighttime. It's
0: So you use the light box first thing in the morning?
1: First thing in the morning, right. And it's why you may have heard press about electronic devices, which we generally use at the end of the day, more than the beginning of the day. You know, we've, we've wound down from our day. We go on our phone, we play games, we play Candy Crush, yeah. we play, <laughs> you know, whatever, or we're looking at things or we're looking at email in the middle of the night. It's the, the, the high-intensity light, and of course, we use our phones close to our face, so we get a lot of light that way, and so trying to limit that even putting the blue light filter, which most smartphones now have on, you should go to your settings and, and look for that. You can put that on for night. It, it sort of reduces the, the blue light. And what it, what it does is it the light in the morning stimulates clock genes in your whole body to improve daytime functioning and reduce nighttime, uh, and increase nighttime fatigue, reduce nighttime awakenings. You have to do it for three to six weeks. You have to do it at the same time every day. The visible light from a light box, as opposed to the sun, doesn't have any ultraviolet light in it. So it doesn't provide any of the benefits of ultraviolet light or the risks of ultraviolet Mm -hmm. light. So the benefits of ultraviolet light are stimulating vitamin D production. The risks of ultraviolet light are sun exposure to the skin and the retina. So
2: so you can go out there and take an early morning walk. That helps. Well, I'm thinking more about the melatonin. I understand what you're saying. The thing about for most people is they would find it, I think, most more difficult. I mean, they're working, et cetera, to have these extra things. Uh, I know that for pregnant women, they say melatonin shouldn't be used. What about if you have slightly high blood pressure and they're taking medication?
1: Well, there are some concerns about melatonin and and cardiac uh, disease, cardiac constriction. Mm. Again, the doses that are used, we're not really sure whether there's uh, advice or not. But again, because it's not FDA studied, um, it's hard to say. I think if you feel uncomfortable... Um, because of high blood pressure or a potential of heart disease, I wouldn't use it. There are There is a prescription medication that is similar to melatonin. It looks at the melatonin receptor, but hasn't really been fantastic in um, improving uh, sleep onset and outcomes. It is FDA approved. It's called Rosarim, and um, it has been used in Several people, but it's a—that's a prescription sleeping pill.
2: Harold, have you heard of the light box? Uh, I—it would not be something that I'm likely to try. Uh, but I think—I think to me the most amazing thing here is that you think sleep would be such a simple subject, and, and the doctor had to go off. In different ways to try to answer, yeah. you know, the question. It's, it's I, complicated. It certainly is. Thank you for your patience. No, sure. thank you,
0: Merrill. Thanks well, for calling.
1: I think, I think the caller made a good point in that we all want to better ourselves with wellness, with trying to actively take control of our health. And Absolutely. Of course, we're all... In favor of that, we actually know that people who use wearable devices to track their sleep do end up sleeping better, just because they're more conscious of it. They don't realize that they're getting the five hours that you get, Robin. They wow. they, they feel they realize they they need to get more.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: but sleep is also the problem in in that it is a passive. Process. Yeah, you cannot will yourself to sleep. I can will myself to exercise if I feel that that needs to. I can even will myself to have the uh, Brussels sprouts rather than the French fries. Um, but I can't will Especially myself. Especially with
0: bacon, with I'm right, done. exactly.
1: I, but I can't will myself to go to sleep. Right. I have to be. The absence of, of an active process, and that's very hard for us today in, in our modern world. to do. Definitely.
0: I, di- I don't want to jump back and forth, so I'm going to stay on the subject of sleep, and then we'll pick sleep okay. apnea up back, because Harold brought up some good points, so let's let's stay on this. You know, when I say that I get five hours, so I know that I'm probably speaking for many of my my listening audience, it's five pretty solid hours and, you know, maybe getting up once because I'm older now, go to the bath bathroom and come right back. But the ability to go right back to sleep is huge. Definitely huge. But are some of us just different in how much sleep we require? You know, do, are... Yes, are, you yes, know, of like,
1: course. They're like, like, and we wish we had a blood test, right? right? So there's not a normal amount. I mean, technically, you should be sleeping enough that you can wake up most of the time spontaneously that you don't feel markedly tired at two to three o'clock in the afternoon that you can fall asleep within 15 to 30 minutes when you lie down and that you don't think about your sleep quality during the daytime. Right. Everybody's variable sleep is but remember that humans have evolved in a non-electric light world Mm. and again I'm not trying to tell us we should go back to the Eighteenth, nineteenth century. I'm Candle. just saying that <laughs> our brains haven't caught up biologically with that, mm-hmm. and that's that's the that's the unfortunate problem.
0: Definitely, and I think our lives are so busy right now. You know, all, and I think everybody. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in your life. You know, whether you're a young kid school is more competitive we have Mm -hmm. them homework and sports and you know they do have all the electronics too the teenage years when the kids are going to college and you know adolescents too um in that that middle school age and then you know as you get older and you're working and and your lives become more competitive and then you have the kids and then as we get older the stress of our work you know gets us apart and then i think when we're older We're not quite sure how to sleep yet, right? Again, I think our bodies have to readjust to sleep. I know I have a hard time when I go on vacation. I want to be able to sleep late, but my internal alarm clock has been set this way for so many years. It's hard to develop a new habit, All right? And I'm sure you hear that.
1: You know, there are are a lot of factors involved. I just think you you want to look at it with other wellness as can Mm -hmm. I during this period of time, set goals. Set, um, yeah. if you don't wanna go out and purchase an electric uh, monitor, you know, because that's a waste or you'll never, or you're not electronically inclined and you don't wanna right. deal with that, um, you know, keep a diary by your bed. Simple one line, when you, and see if you make progress. You know, just like people have food diaries for trying to improve better, and, and say, look, I'm gonna try to get a half an hour more this month per night than I did last month <laughs> half an hour a week half an hour a night is three and a half hours that's a half a night right. extra
0: but now know, is with eight, a half an hour are eight hours realistic I mean do most people really get
1: that well I think it, it depends on age um you know there's there's a normal distribution for age and um the normal adult over the age of 35 who does not have any neurologic problems, it's probably seven to seven and a half hours in the United States. Mm. Um, Between the ages of about 13, 14 and 25, it's more like eight and a half to nine hours is normal. And that's very hard for our high school students because they often have to get up earlier than they should. The right. American Academy of Sleep Medicine's position is that high school starts at nine o'clock but hmm. transportation is usually a problem and right.
0: these in kids are getting that. up really early and they mm-hmm. aren't doing well those first mm-hmm. couple of classes. Correct. You know, I know back for me, that first class in the morning, if it was math or science, I was done. You know? Pretty much any class you could snooze through, like history or English, was probably better. <laughs> I'm not gonna get
1: I'm not gonna get any of my teachers in trouble.
0: With no, don't get any of them in uh, trouble. But
1: it, we also know that um, municipalities that have changed their school start times have shown improvements in test scores, and reduction in car accidents, and reduction mm-hmm. in teenage substance abuse rates from doing that.
0: Yeah, kids, you know, there's a lot more busing just now.
1: by changing it
0: you know we were kids we walked to school but once you know once we it's a lot of factors yeah there's a lot of factors you talked about the light box so Mm -hmm. how how you know is the light box used how do you use it personally in your home and where do you get them
1: so light boxes unfortunately the one thing about it is light boxes don't have a good um marketing or lobbying Mm. uh sort of backup because they are a one-time purchase. And they haven't really been categorized by the insurance, the way that they're reimbursed. They don't have a what we call a specific code for them. So there's no way... Even if you have really good insurance, there's no way actually to put it in as a purchase. You may be able to use an HSA Mm -hmm. if you have one for it, but because it has no insurance code, even if your insurance would pay for medical equipment with a prescription, because it has no code, there's no way for them to actually pay for it. The good news about light boxes is they cost about 20% what they did about 10 years ago, because... Now that LED lights are affordable, the light boxes have become small. They're basically now the size of iPads or tablets.
0: What do and they look like?
1: They really look like a tablet with sort of a front, almost like um, like if you if you took like a makeup compact okay. and you put it in a tablet. Okay. Um, if you go on one of the shopping sites Amazon or, or something like that and you put in light therapy what you need is a is a light box that is rated at 10,000 luX LuX is a is called Lux it's a measurement of brightness at a certain distance so the Sun when it's not an eclipse when it's out there has about a hundred thousand lux when you're in bright sunlight. Mm. So a light box does about 10,000 and you want to hold it. You don't have to hold it actually. That's incorrect because they stand up on the on the on the kitchen table. Like an iPad. Whatever, like an iPad. And they all have stands in them. Some of them most of them plug in. They're not heat driven because they're LED. And you put them about 18 to 24 inches, so like you would with a laptop computer or mm. sort of that distance. And they illuminate your face and your eyes and you don't have to stare into it. It just has to be the light on your eyes. You can wear normal clothing. There's no skin exposure issues. And you can even do other things. You could even
3: have
0: your breakfast. eat,
1: <laughs> w- watch TV in the corner You know, as long as the light's illuminating your face, getting about 15 to 30 minutes would be best. So 15 to
0: 30 minutes every day.
1: For usually first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. As close to school or or work as you can. If you have a work situation where it doesn't take you super long to get to work, you could put it at your desk early in the morning. And
0: then what that's supposed to do is...
1: It triggers the it's like the starting gun. If you think okay. about your day as one lap around the track, it basically lines you up at the start line at the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. So when you get to the finish, which is bedtime, you're ready to, you're to ready. go to sleep. Yeah.
0: So it, I, I find that incredibly interesting. You told me you were using it on on your kids, right?
1: Well, my my daughter we encourage her to use it when she's when she's You know, falling behind. She's actually pretty good, and she.
0: But she's compliant with it. She's
1: pretty compliant with it. Her her dad's a little bit of a stickler when it comes to that, and he's always mentioning sleep. And she always complains to me that I blame all of her. Issues on, her, her on bad neurosis, sleep, yeah. and I never I never just let her take credit for herself. But she's a, she's a great young woman. So it's, I'm inc- not
0: gonna. It's, it's incredible, you know. I just I've never heard of it, and you mentioned yeah. it to me, and then there's been a few stories out there in the news mm-hmm. on it, and I I just thought mm-hmm. it was so important to talk about it. So you right. can get it on Amazon or any, mm-hmm. but it's called light therapy.
1: Light therapy. They tend to they tend to run under a hundred dollars. Some of them around fifty. Yeah. So it's a worthwhile investment. The side effects. It's really just visible light, so it's really no. There's really no side effect.
0: Do you charge it. it? Do you?
1: Well, most of them are just plug in, but because they don't use a lot of electricity, because okay. they're LED, they really don't. You don't have to usually charge it up. There are some portable ones, but but they change all the right, time. Right, they it's change really all the, the time. The, the production and they tend to last a long time.
0: I, I find it incredibly interesting. And then how about the light bulb? You mentioned the blue light. Can you explain what that right.
1: is? So the, the frequency of light, as you may remember from high school physics, is that white light and sunlight are composed of many different wavelengths of light. Remember when we see the rainbow, it mm-hmm. splits up. It's because it splits up from water or glass or something. And it turns out that the receptors on our retina are most responsive to a frequency of blue light which is a frequency of about 470, which is just the, the units. There's no reason to really know that. So there are some lights that actually come in just that frequency. And the theory behind that is that it's easier, it's less harsh on the person to just look at blue light. So there are some of the therapy lights are blue, which is a little less... Um, Harsh to to look okay. at, okay, and a little less blinding if it right, were. Right. On the other hand, it's the blue lights in electronic devices that keep uh, you up, keeps the stimulation. So, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, there are settings on the smartphones where you can turn it to night mode or to turn the brightness down. Where And if you ever notice, if you ever turn it to the, the warm mode or the night mode, right. it tends to look more red. Mm-hmm. And that's because the phone is trying to take out the, bl- the most blue right. blue lights available.
0: But our kids are so on electronic devices yeah. that having them turn that down, especially at night.
1: Yeah, that can be helpful.
0: Is, would, would be yeah. helpful. When mm-hmm. do you have your daughter shut down? Or do you? Are you able to control it now? How old is she now? My
1: daughter is sixteen. Yeah. I think she's pretty <laughs> <You're> responsible <beyond. laughs> of what she does, and I think she turns her brightness down. I think she's really good with sleep, and she understands her importance. But uh, uh, you know, as little as possible. You know, after eight o'clock is probably the time that you want to you know turn the brightness way down and and do that. Which you know, so
0: a lot of us, I know me in particular, need. TV to help me relax. Because if I don't and I just go to bed, my mind wanders. So I need to focus on anything but. Well, if it prevents you
1: from getting that done, I mean, one of the mindfulness techniques is to pick a time before you get into bed to sort of make yourself sort of a to-do list for tomorrow kind of thing. So instead of the first time you do this is when you finally are alone with your thoughts in bed, is to, you know, maybe sit down after dinner and just sort of say, Okay, look, this is what I've got tomorrow. These are my stresses. I'm gonna think about a plan for them. And then when you get into bed you don't you don't do that. And a lot of people with insomnia, that's what keeps them up. So they wake up at three o'clock and they've got something gnawing at their Brain and mm-hmm. they, and that starts triggering it, and then they can't go back to sleep. They can't go to sleep. The t- there's nothing wrong with the TV. The TV, like anything, is what we call a sleep association. It's a, it's a teddy bear.
0: <laughs> it is so a teddy bear. It is.
1: The problem with sleeping with the teddy bear is when the teddy bear's gone. Oh, yeah. So if 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 you don't want to watch TV, if the TV's too loud, if the bed partner doesn't want to watch TV, if you go somewhere else and there's no TV. So that's really the the issue. It's not that TV's so bad for you. It's that it's an association.
0: It is an association. And, you know, if we go to... a a go away, and we happen to be in a room that doesn't have it, I'm in a panic. How am I going to go to sleep?
1: That'll rot your brain.
0: <laughs> but you know, it's so <laughs> silly. It's like yeah, put radio on. I And it's so funny, but it's so true. You're right. It's more the association. But the light will keep you up, because it's what wakes me back up to right. trigger me to turn it off.
1: Yeah, But right? again, someone who uses light therapy has to realize that uh, the brain doesn't transition. If you if you ever travel, you know about jet lag. You know the jet lag doesn't recover in one day. Right, it's, no. it's it's because your body clock is resetting. It's because right. of the light you get. And there are whole algorithms you can get apps on if you're if you're a big traveler on how to try to tune your light therapy. It's sort of backwards in what you would think it would be, which is kind of interesting. But you have to remember that peak setting of your body clock, which we call circadian, which is just means daily circadian is, is the daily routine is about three to six weeks.
0: How about, you know, you talked about your clock. I mean, we're going to be heading to that pretty soon where we're going to be falling back. Right. And I'll tell you, it does throw me off. Is that a real thing?
1: Yeah, it is. Falling back is easier than springing forward because it's easier for us to stay up later in general than mm-hmm. to um, get up early get up earlier and that's because if you actually um, put most humans in a situation where they they have no clock signals that so they don't have access to light or anything that's related to the day or time, we actually run a longer day than we run about a 25 hour day yeah. so it may it's like it's easier for us to stay later but it affects things I mean,
0: I can it's, tell you it affects my dog <laughs> definitely affects exactly, the golden retriever
1: exactly, but well. because they are they're looking at 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 suntimes and things, but you know it's it's more of an issue of of you know waiting for the bus in the dark for the kids it's yeah. it's an issue of safety it's an issue of definitely you know we would rather have um more light more more light I mean I'm not I don't take a position on whether we should have daylight saving time right because but
0: it throws your body off I if mean you think it, does. About it. it takes you a while
1: if you think about it if we didn't have daylight sa- saving time in Connecticut where we are the Sun would rise about four in the morning mm. oh. in June that's pretty that's, that's pretty, pretty early bad. The So dogs that's already the, getting
0: up at five that's the, I'm that's sad. the,
1: that's the <laughs> <laughs> That's the other side of the consequence. Yeah,
0: it's so true. So,
1: so you know, it's it's hard. To, and if we had daylight saving time all the time, then in January it would be eight thirty. Right. So,
0: and you know when it get, and you know when it rains or when it's darker in the morning, you have such a hard time waking up because mm-hmm. it's darker. Right. So your mind right. isn't. You know, I know the other day it was raining. It was really dark, and the dog was waking me up. And I'm real. I'm like, Sam, go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's still dark mm-hmm. out. But then I looked at. My clock and realize, oh my gosh, it's 5:30. I have to get going. Mm-hmm. But my body hadn't even adjusted because mm-hmm. it wasn't light yet. Mm-hmm. I didn't have my light box that would have helped me get through the day. I'm going to be buying. One you still, of those. and
1: you and and the other part of it is you still have to get up. You can't you have use to the up. light box when you're sitting in bed snoozing too many times. <laughs> no,
0: you have to get up. So we are going to take a break. and When we come back, we're going to finally get back to the topic we started on sleep apnea. We'll be right back. everyone welcome back robin sills from saint mary's hospital we are medically speaking and we are medically speaking tonight on the great eight and the great eight topic is a topic provided to us um, by our spirit of women network and we are so happy to have with us tonight on that topic of the great eight our sleep medicine specialist dr greg Kalodner. So happy you could join us. Hi again, Robin. How are you? So great. I'm good. I'm good. I can't believe how quick the program goes. So we started out the program talking briefly about sleep apnea and then kind of got diverted to sleep in general, but we wanted to definitely address um, our caller on some of those issues regarding sleep and the supplement of melatonin. And now back to sleep apnea, talking a little bit about what it is, how you treat it. You were saying it comes to you in a variety of ways, um, referrals, um, but Once you get a patient in your office, then what is the next steps? So
1: to think about sleep apnea, we have to get to the point of why does this matter? Why do I care whether I stop breathing, especially if I sleep alone (laughs) and nobody's bothering me, or if I don't really feel that impaired during the day? Why should I care if I stop breathing? Mm -hmm. Well, there's two reasons. Number one is many people are impaired from poor sleep quality. What happens is when they stop breathing multiple times, their sleep is not consolidated. They keep waking up for short periods of time, one, two, three seconds. And so they never develop consolidated sleep. And while some people get very tired during the day, others get unmotivated, it can affect depression, it can affect weight gain, it can affect mood, memory, concentration, as we talked about driving fatigue a little Mm bit. And the other side is that people who have at least moderate sleep apnea have a three or more times greater increase of developing heart disease and stroke. And we're all about wellness and prevention. Absolutely. And it's very important to treat even asymptomatic sleep apnea if it's moderate. So the thing about sleep apnea is we really have to test you to figure out both how bad it is and if it's there. And the reason why is that there is really no way to know that you're having it without a test. A test is basically measuring your breathing during sleep by either just measuring the breathing or measuring the breathing plus the other parts of your sleep. And what I mean by that is mm. we can do sleep testing in two ways. We can do it by a home monitor test, which is called a home sleep apnea test. It's actually not a sleep test, but we do it while you're sleeping. And there's a in-lab sleep test, which we use the big name polysomnography, which means <laughs> many sleep monitors, basically. And unfortunately, it is many sleep monitors, but none of it hurts or is difficult. They're basically electrodes like you would use for an EKG for heart, but they're put on your head and face and chest. And and we measure your sleep in a real... Human bed, not a hospital bed, with a real TV and a real room. Oh, I would have a TV. Wood. Yes, you would have a TV. <laughs> although we would, we would want you to keep your phone away from the bed. That's okay. And we would record you during a night with the technologist who's in the other room and just watching both your your brain waves and your breathing waves, and um, for safety reasons, just watching you on an infrared camera, just to. You make make sure everything's safe and you don't need anything and there's a bathroom right next door and it's private and and we see we would see if your breathing pattern is disrupted by sleep apnea a home test we sometimes do if someone is really straightforward because it's not giving us a full picture of their sleep so they have to sleep well for a home sleep test because if they're up most of the night The home sleep apnea test doesn't tell us that. It only tells us whether they stop breathing or not. If we're not really sure, then we don't want to do the home sleep apnea test because they may not have things. If they have medical problems that we have to make sure there's not something else going on like lung disease, heart arrhythmias, um, psychiatric issues, um, we don't do a home sleep test for children because a home monitor is much harder to keep on during the night and so with a young child it's ve- they get distracted during sleep and they often will push it off. It's actually not indicated for for children
0: How does what does the home one look like? so so it's, it's
1: basically the home one looks like a it's three main monitors. Okay. There's a belt that goes around your rib cage like a soft belt, like if you've ever seen a heart chest strap monitor for right. heart rate. It's not it's just enough to sh- to detect whether your um, ribs are are moving during breathing. It the the box that controls all of this is about phone sized and attaches right on that belt. And then there are two things that come out of the belt there's a airflow sensor which is like an oxygen cannula that goes in your nose okay and there's a oxygen, sensor, a pulse ox that goes on your finger. The clip. And so those two things come out of the box and we usually use some loose tape to keep them on so that when you're in the middle of the night, you don't realize that it's on you. You don't knock it off.
0: So the important piece is you just said we make sure they're taped on. So these home tests still have to be applied. You still have to be evaluated by a sleep specialist Yourself. That's right. And applied in the office after a proper evaluation. Correct.
1: And you and the the one thing I will say is they're up, they're instructed in the office. We actually, it's not like a cardiac monitor. Right. We do not have to. You don't have to wear them home, and drive around looking silly, going home from the office. But you do have to come for instruction to pick up the unit to to make sure that things are available. And it's important that you do see myself or another sleep specialist because the quality of the recording that you're getting from these, it's very important for us to tell the difference between good monitoring and bad monitoring. And some places they do monitoring where they just put it in the computer and they don't really tell you, they don't really know whether you've even gotten good, good results.
0: There are times when you give someone a home study, but it wasn't accurate enough, and they need to do the traditional method. Well,
1: there are two, yeah, there are two situations. If if someone is really they accidentally knock it off, mm-hmm. uh, we we usually try again um, because and you know the, we only the, you, your insurance would only get charged one time. Right. We just repeat the the testing, but if it doesn't give us the answers that we want. Um, we often will recommend in someone, especially if we really think there's sleep apnea, but we're not really sure, then we'll have them come in for an overnight
0: test. If they come, when someone comes in for an overnight test, you know, you're talking about electrodes on your face, and you know, on your chest, does that really end up being a traditional night sleep for that person? They're in a strange place. You know they're in. I know it's. You know, looks like a little hotel room. I've been in the new facility, which, by the way, is beautiful. One thirty three Scoville Street. I won't say that it used to be my old office. That's okay. It's gorgeous in there. Um, They, they have beautiful bedrooms. The bathroom has got nicer tile than my house. It's beautiful. But is it as comfortable for the person being in a strange place?
1: To say that it's completely the same as your home would not be fair. Right. The test is designed to detect what your breathing is and what a good sample of your sleep is. Mm. And most people who are not insomniacs, who most people who at least feel fatigued enough, we get very good data from. I would say we get an accurate test 97-98% of the time. If you come to me Robin and you say no I don't snore I don't have any breathing problems. My problem is I don't get enough sleep or I can't get to sleep or my pattern's all messed up or or I have Mm -hmm. insomnia I'm not going to do a sleep test on you. I'm going to work on the other parts of your sleep. So Mm -hmm. it's not For everybody and for for every sleep problem. But it's for sleep apnea and some other sleep conditions, breathing, other breathing conditions, neurologic conditions. Um, Sometimes we do it for leg problems, uh, you know, other things like that.
0: Leg problems? Like what?
1: Well, sometimes we will evaluate people for restless leg syndrome, Mm -hmm. which is a type of insomnia. What restless leg syndrome is, is a mild neurologic problem that can sometimes make people feel difficult to go to to get to to get to sleep. Um, It is not a serious condition, but it can be serious enough to affect your sleep quality. It's not something that's dangerous. But sometimes we use medication. Sometimes we check iron. Um,
0: It's amazing to me, you know, that the study of sleep it's so big and there's so many parts to it like Harold said when he called in he didn't realize how much there really was you can do an entire show of it it's incredible I could have you here all night and, and talk about this because there's so many pieces to it you said um, in monitoring someone in the, in, in the office or you know if they're staying there that they're there overnight mm-hmm. they're there with a technician so do you generally when you're meeting with the patient before you set them up for the study do you find out you know, what time do you generally go to bed, and what time, be, like how, what is the time frame we tr- there? We
1: try to accommodate someone. Okay. If, if someone is really a full shift worker, if someone mm-hmm. really works overnights and every day, or five days a week they sleep during the day, we'll try to arrange a daytime oh, that's recording interesting. for them. yeah. If someone's a second shift worker and doesn't go to sleep till three or four o'clock in the morning, we might accommodate them. If someone tells me they go to sleep at 11.30, we're going to try to do them at the, uh, do the recording at the regular time, um, knowing that we we don't have to fall asleep at eight thirty or nine o'clock. Right, we can get a good enough data from four to six hours of recording. That's that's. Um,
0: what do adequate. you generally see when you see? Do you see that people? Because it's funny, a lot of people will will say to me, you know, if I fall asleep. Initially, when I'm watching TV on the couch or whatever, that seems to be like my best sleep for like a half an hour. I get this deep, deep sleep, and then I wake up and I have a hard time going back to sleep. Correct. And you know, so what do you see? Well, that's
1: because the first part of your sleep is what we call the deepest. Hmm. it that means that the brain waves are the most they're the largest. So if you think about the ocean, waves like the ocean. Hmm. In the middle of the ocean when you have that sort of rocking back and forth, deep sort of if you're hmm. on a boat that's just rocking back and like, forth. Don't get that's me what seasick the, here. Right, exactly. That's what the <laughs> that's what the deep waves are like. And they happen at the beginning of the night. And that's why sometimes if you wake up after an hour you might be a little disoriented because your brain hasn't fully woken up. so true. And then the sleep at the end of the night, though, the the part of the night that we don't get as much of, that's more dreaming-related sleep and more related to learning and memory. Mm -hmm. So that's why people who are sleep-deprived sometimes are more forgetful or don't do well on certain things because they're not getting that part of sleep. Now, that's a little bit of a simplistic
3: uh, description, but
1: that's the way I like to think of it, that and if you think about it your brain is going to you if we believe that sleep has a restorative function you can think of it as the first part of sleep is to restore sort of the physical things in the body mm. and the second part of sleep is to restore the mind
0: wow That's in a
1: interesting. in sort of a uh a, 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 simplistic definition of it. That's, but really that's interesting.
0: Now, what do you look at when you're looking at the study? What would gear you to treat someone and, well, we, and recognize what's happening? We, we look at, at the
1: frequency of how often they stop breathing. So we use a number, which is the amount of time per hour, like an index. We look at the quality of their brain waves. If someone is really bad in the sense that we're concerned about the level of sleep apnea, they stop breathing 15, 20 or more times an hour, and they have medical problems, or their oxygen level is really low, then we might actually wake them up in the middle of the study and use positive pressure therapy, which is the... The mask. mask. I don't like to think of it as the mask. (laughs) That's what everybody calls it. Everybody calls it the mask, but the mask is actually not doing anything. It's really the the machine, which is very quiet and just runs like a fan, but gives enough air pressure. The mask is there so that you don't, the air doesn't escape. The air can actually keep your throat open, and you're not breathing in the sense of, more than you sh- you should you're just the the machine is allowing your breathing to be like it is during the day where you don't make any noise when you're breathing you don't snore in the middle of the, in the middle of the day you just breathe normally so we will see on a sleep test what level the the machine may need if the person needs one and what um what ch- changes in their sleep quality? Sometimes we see these really long dreaming periods in, in, very impaired people. One has to realize that many people who come from a sleep test don't have sleep apnea, even if if we think that it they might did. be there. Right. Or if their sleep apnea is mild, sometimes we could use less aggressive treatments.
0: It's, a, it's incredible. We're going to have to bring you back, doc. Again,
1: I know you always want me to come back. I do.
0: I do always want you to come back. I We have reached towards the end of the program, so I want to make sure we have an ability to let people know where they can find out more about you and know where our new location is, which is 133 Scoville Street, right attached to St. Mary's Hospital Suite 104 is our sleep center and we also have the sleep center out in Wolcott. Correct. 503 Wolcott Road. Um, If people want to learn more about um, Dr. Kalodner and our sleep center, you can go on stmh.org and click on Sleep Medicine. You can also click on the Franklin Medical Group at the top of our page and pull up a specialty care and Dr. Kalodner is listed there along with the sites. Uh, The phone number is 203 709 04. Again, two zero three seven zero nine four five zero four. Thank you again so much for joining us tonight. The information was incredible.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. And we will be, have this available on our podcast, Medically Speaking. Go on iTunes, and we'll have this up in about a week, and you can hear it again. It'll live forever now, Dr. Kladner.
1: I knew I would live.
0: <laughs> so I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight, and you know we're going to tell you to do one thing: do one thing is try to get as close to eight hours as you can. The great eight. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, exceptional care every patient every day. Have a great week, and we'll see you on August thirtieth.